I've got a sermon in mind, and this particular song will help me introduce it. I want you to notice that it starts off with, What can wash my sin away? The second line is, For my pardon, this I see. The third one is, Nothing for nothing can for sin atone. Lord willing, what I'd like to do is I want to look at the finished work of Jesus Christ over the next several Sundays. I want to take that little jewel, that diamond, and rotate it in your hand and spin it around and look at it from several perspectives. One of the perspectives I want to look at is from a cleansing perspective, and that's the first line. Another one I want to look at from a relational perspective, that's the third line. I want to look at it from a legal perspective, that's the second line. And then the fourth one is a redeeming one, and we just sang that one two songs ago. If you have your hymnals, go to 403, which is one of the first songs that was called out. Go to the first line, I'm sorry, the first uh, line in the song, the second uh, stanza. Go to the clear flowing fountain where you may wash and be clean. There's the cleansing. Go to 213. 213, I saw that one in number two, third line down. Blessed inhabitants of Zion, washed in thy Redeemer's blood. We sing about being washed in his blood all the time. Do you know what that means? We're supposed to sing with understanding. Lord willing, I'd like to take that aspect of Jesus' finished work and just today look at it from the perspective of a washing. He's washed us. What did that do for us? What did that get done? How does that help us? How does that help us earthly? How does it help us eternally? And I want to look at that aspects. John 19, 28 through 30. I want to focus on the words, it is finished. It is finished. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he's on the cross now, he's been on there for several hours, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to go to the Greek on you today. And again, when I go to the Greek, it's for illustrative purposes. It's not to prove doctrine. If I can't prove doctrine with my Bible in front of me, I have got no business going there to establish doctrine, but this is an illustration. There's a word that was interpreted, interpreted it is finished. It's a five-word Greek word, T-E-L-E-O, teleio, I believe how it's pronounced. It means three things. It means paid in full. If I was in a debtor's prison and I owed somebody $1,000 and I was in there till someone paid the $1,000, that debt would be posted above my cell. And when a friend or a family member or someone that loved me came by and paid the $1,000, they would write to let the O. In other words, paid in full and I would be released. So when Jesus died on the cross, there was an aspect of his finished work where it was paid in full. To let you was also used to describe a job complete. For instance, if I told uh, Patrick, go plow the back 40, and he got his tractor and got the discs on there, and he turned up all the soil, and he came back after all day, and he would say, the job's done. 
we would say, teleio, the job is complete. That's another way it was. So when Jesus is on the cross, he said, teleio, paid in full. He also said the job is done, but it was used a third way. And if you ever seen at the end of a novel or a movie, the last two words on the last screen, it says, the end. That word is teleio. In other words, the story is over. So when Jesus died and he gave up the ghost and he went to be with the Lord, it was the story of salvation is complete. So those are three ways that word is used to describe. I also want to look at that phrase, it is finished, and look at it from several perspectives. I just gave you three from illustrative purposes using that Greek word, but I want to use scripture to give you four more. Today, we want to look at one of the four, and that is washed. I want to look at things from a perspective of washed. So in much insight can be gained from looking at this finished work from these four perspectives. The first one is a sanitizing perspective. That's a washing or a cleansing. The second one is a relational, and that would be reconciling or atonement. Atonement is a compound word. It means at one or in harmony with, atone. The third one I want to look at is legal, and I want to look at as Jesus justified and secured a pardon for us. That was in one of our songs too, he pardoned us. And then the final one I want to look at is a financial one. Actually, we've done that before about five years ago. I looked it up and we've looked at it and those would be like words of surety and debt and paid our debt and redeemer. All those words we sung today. Did you pick up on them? We sang those words all the time. So what we're doing is when we sing these songs, we're talking about aspects of Jesus Christ's finished work. Today I want to do the washing. So let's look at the sanitizing. And the first two verses I want to look at that scriptural is first one is Revelations 1 and verse 5. And I want you to notice we are washed in his sins. And I know this kind of blows our mind. If you ever cut yourself, the first thing I have to do is take the shirt off and soak it in cold water and hopefully so it won't stain. But the blood is kind of like Resolve. Does everybody know what Resolve? It's a part product you can get at a supermarket and it takes stains out of carpet. You got little kids walking through, they get tar on their feet, they go through traipsing through and get on a rug or your carpet and it, you scrub and you scrub and you can't get it out and you get that miracle drug called Resolve and you squirt it on there a couple times and it comes out. Well, that's what Jesus does for you. It gets it. You guys look like you never heard of Resolve? Everybody, everybody know what Resolve is? It's a miracle cleaner. Get it. Okay. It works great in cars. You know, you stomp all over the place, even get chewing gum on your feet, and you step and you get on the floorboard of your car, hit it with some Resolve. It's, you scrub and you scrub and you scrub, and guess what? It's that, you get that foam buildup, and the foam starts turning black. And the carpet starts turning the color it's supposed to be. It's amazing. It just does it. Well, that's what Jesus' blood did for you. He cleaned you. It is somehow released all the, the grasping that it has on your flesh and it is brought up and now you got white foam. But it's not white anymore because it's got all the dirt in there. So let me read this. Revelations 1, 5, and 6. Somehow Jesus' blood washes us. Our natural thing says blood dirties, but no, in terms of eternal sense, it washes us. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever 
men. The reason why you can approach the king is because he cleaned you. That's true in an earthly sense, and we're going to look at that just to show from practical, but it's also from a spiritual sense, God is so holy, he can't even look on us. We needed to get that human blood resolved. Well, it's not human because Jesus was human, but he is also God. We needed his blood to pull that sin out so God could even look at us. Second witness, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. Somehow, Jesus' blood has a cleaning agent. How does that happen? Well, let's try to look at a couple of examples and see how that works. So I go back and you go, well, I'm not that dirty. Yeah, all you have to see, I'm afraid to go back to Michigan. Okay, the reason why I'm afraid to go back to Michigan, I got old college roommates that live in Michigan and I don't want my kids to meet my old college roommates. They might start telling stories on dad who did not open up his Bible as 26 or 27. I was dirty. I was dirty. Okay. Enough of that story. So I want to give you an example of how that is. And what, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of a case where Joseph, do you remember Joseph? Joseph was a son, and somewhere around age 17, he was the, um, the, the youngest son of Jacob. Well, actually, the second youngest, there was Benjamin. But he was the second young of, son of uh, Jacob, and his ten older brothers hated him. And they, slowed up, they sold him into bondage. And he spent 13 years in Egypt. And I don't know the breakdown of the 13 years. Some of the years was under Potiphar, and some of the years was in a dungeon. So I don't know if the breakdown was 6 and 7 or 3 and 10. All I know, he was in jail for a long time. And when he was in jail, he had a dream and he came to a sense and word came back to Pharaoh that there's a guy in jail that could, could tell these dreams. And they said, get him. But they didn't bring Joseph to Pharaoh. What did they do? They had to clean him up. You can't bring that dirty old scoundrel in front of a king. That's just from a natural step. You don't do it. And I got news for you. If you ever go meet the president, and I don't care if it's, you like him or not, clean up. Show him respect. Let's read this. Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, but not too hastily. Notice what they did. And he shaved himself, and he changed his raiment, and he came in unto Pharaoh. Y'all, you need to clean up before you go before the king. We need to clean up before we go to God. It's the same thing. Okay, here's another example. Exodus 40 and verse 12. God is so specific about this, that when someone comes to make a sacrifice to them, you know what the sacrifice does? It cleans the people. But you know what God made the priest do before they made the sacrifice? He made them clean up. Verse uh, 12, And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. Why? Because you got to be clean to approach the God. And this was Old Testament. Jesus' blood wasn't there to do it eternally. So they did it ceremonially, ceremonially, and they did it, and they did it, and they put on new clothes, and they put on white clothes that were washed, whiter than a fuller, could wipe them, and they put those things on so we could approach God and make the offering. That's the way God is. 
And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Aaron, before you come and talk to me and make sacrifice for the people, clean up. Why can you go before God? The reason why you can go before God is because God, Jesus cleaned you up. Well, I thought I could clean myself up. Look what it says in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all as unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. You know what that means? It means you need some resolve. I don't care how much you use Tide. I don't care how much you use Cheer or Dove or whatever soap you're using. It's not going to do it. There's only one thing that'll do it. That's resolve. It'll take the stain out. Now, you know, I'm being silly and I'm using a metaphor. There's only one thing. You, you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't confess your way into heaven. You can't obey your way into heaven. There's only one thing that'll take care of that stain. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's your resolve. Anything else is just dirty rags. Isn't that something? Jesus washed us. Anything you do, you're still dirty. I can't remember. It wasn't too long ago, a couple weeks ago. I think it was, I can't remember. It was either Claire or Emma or, I can't remember who it was. Or or Deborah. Someone gave me my grandson, Thomas. He got this close to me and I smelled his soiled diaper. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not taking him. You got to clean that boy up first. I know I am a wimp when it comes to soiled diapers. I admit it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wimp. But he cleaned up so I could take my grandson. That's the way it was God. Jesus had to change your soiled diaper. Notice one of the songs, it says, your worms. Your worms, your lowly, what do worms do? They're in the dirt. You ever step on one? You know what, even when you step on, dirt comes out. They're dirt. You're a worm. No, that's how dirty we are. Luke eleven thirty eight, and the Pharisees saw it, and he marveled that he had not washed before dinner. Even the Pharisees in their ceremony, before you come to eat, before you do their holy things, you need to clean up. Kind of gives new inspiration to put on your Sunday best to go to worship. Does that mean you can't come to church? No, you can come to church, but you do it. Why do you do it? I just clean up before God. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what does the Bible say before you take communion? Confess your sins. What? You're cleaning up. Wash yourself. Put on your good garment. That's what it is. So it's true eternally. It's also turned true practically. So we sing that song, Washed, what can wash away your sin? Nothing but resolve. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Your efforts won't do it. One more passage. So there it is. We just looked at it. We looked at what Jesus Christ accomplished, Revelations 1, 5, and 6, 1 John 1, 7. We tried to illustrate it with uh, uh, Joseph and also with uh, Aaron and his sons. We described what we, we, what we do. And let me read this passage, 1 Corinthians 6. I want to read 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, rilers, nor extortioners share inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He's talking to these people that were members of the church at Corinth, and he says, don't you get so uppity. He says, you were dirty. 
And this is some of the dirt that you were rolling around in. Notice what it says here. But ye are washed and sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Y'all, praise the Lord for God's washing. Praise the Lord for God's resolve is Jesus' blood. Okay, that's one, the cleansing aspect, perspective. Let's go to a second aspect of this cleansing. There's a purifying component of it. First one is Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? A fur piece. A long ways. And when he removed your sins, he put them that far away from you. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his persons and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right, right hand of the majesty on high. So he removed our sins and he purged our sins. You think of those like, for instance, a program. If you've got a computer and it has a virus in there and you give it to computer tech and it says, okay, I purged the virus. That means the virus is gone. It is not kind of lurking in the background somewhere. When he says it's purged, it's been erased. It's been obliterated. It's gone. And that's where we are. That's what God did with our sins. We've been purified in that sense. Let's give you a couple examples. First example I would like to go to is in Esther 2.12. Now, I know this is hard for us to relate to, but King Ahasuerus, the Persian king, was in the process of finding a new wife. I know this sounds so far-fetched from our modern culture, but I just want you to get the principle. What he did is he got these beautiful women and he made them purify themselves for 12 months before he got on the first date. And it says right here in Esther 2, 12, Now when every maid's turn was come to go unto the king, after 12 months, six months with oil and myrrh, six with sweet odors, and other purifying treatments. In other words, here's a physical king, and before you could have um, uh, the relations of, of, of that with, with a king, they had to be purified. Well, in a very similar, parallel type way, you need to be purified before you can have that intimate relationship with the Lord. Your sins need to be purged and they need to be um, removed. And, and you know what? Oils and myrrhs aren't going to do that for you and I. There's only one thing that does it. That's the miracle solution. Jesus' blood. Here's another example. Hebrews 10, 9 and 19 and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, the flesh. Jesus created a way for us to approach God. In the Old Testament, we couldn't do it. In the Old Testament, they had a system where a priest could do it one time a year for the whole congregation. Y'all have 24-hour access seven days a week. Why? Because Jesus purged your sins. You didn't need any oils, no myrrhs, no ointments like that. To approach the king, he needed to purge your sins. And there's only one way to do that. That's through Jesus. Here's a couple 
ways I want to try to give you that perspective and show real appreciation for it. Proverbs 30 and verse 12. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes, not washed from their filthiness. I think I'm pretty clean. How dare God reject me? Has the blood been applied? The answer is no. Then you're not clean. Yeah, but I'm a pretty good guy. Remember that rich young ruler? He thought he was pretty clean. He thought he had arrived. They were not washed from their filthiness. Man cannot do it. And then Acts 10, 15. Call not common what God hath cleansed. What has he cleansed? He called his children. So let's go on the other side. You think you're kind of too big for your britches and you cleaned yourself? The opposite is true. If God's purged your sins, you can't say, oh, I'm not nothing. No, you're cleansed. That should give you the confidence to go to him on the other side of the cleansing. You got it? You're no more common. You're special. You're cleansed in his sight. Y'all, that's good news to me. Let's go to Titus. Here's, one, here's, a, here's a passage that I think will wrap everything up. In Titus chapter 3, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts, pleasures, living in malice and hate, envy, hateful and hating one another. That's the dirt. That was us before God cleansed us. Now notice what it says here. But after the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Y'all, the reason why you're clean is because Jesus went to the cross for you and he shed his blood and his blood is what made you clean. Y'all, that's good news. So don't think of yourself as common anymore. You were bought and you were bought with a high price, higher than jewels or gold or Precious stones. Let's go to a third one, a third perspective. There was a hallowing accomplishment done with Jesus' work on the cross. Let me give you a couple of verses here to try to show you this one. Remember the first one was uh, the, the, the cleansing or the sanitizing? The, the second aspect was the uh, purification? Well, here, here's a third one, and this is the hallowing. In Ephesians 2, verse 15, it says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that's the sin or the transgressions, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Hallow means holy. And God is so holy, he cannot stand to look on wickedness. Can't even look at it. How could he ever look at any of us? Well, he can't on our own. But Jesus came and interceded for us, and he washed us in his blood so he can now look at us. And what happened was when he did that, he abolished in his flesh, in his death, the enmity, that, that stigma between us. He abolished it. What, what, what is abolish? Kind of take away? No. What is abolished? 
Well, it's there till you throw it away. No, abolish means it's gone. It's eradicated too. And then Jude 1, call not common. Why? Because you're preserved. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Every fall, when I grew up on my mom's side of the family, that was the Italian side of the family, she was one of four siblings. We'd all get together and we'd go and find some farmer with tomatoes and we'd go pick 20 to 24 bushels of tomatoes. And we'd go to grandma's house and we'd go in the basement, we turned it into a factory and we made tomato sauce for our spaghetti and all our Italian meals for the whole year. And we'd been down there and we, we had this down to a science. And at one table, the, a lot of the ladies would be sitting around with their paring knives and they'd be cutting out the bad spots and taking the skins off and throwing in a pot. And then I'd be there and with my male cousins and we'd be at another station where we had the grinder and we'd separate the seeds and any skins that were left and we'd, we'd get the pulp and the mulch and we'd put in another one. And then the aunts and the uncles and my grandma would be at the stove and they would be boiling the, the stuff for, for a good long time, killing all the bacteria any germs, any bad spot. And they would bring it to a boil and a boil for 20 minutes. And they were throwing in the herbs and the spices and the oregano and all that kind of stuff. And then after it was ready to go, they'd take them mason jars, they'd heat them up, get them really hot in boiling water, and they'd pour the tomato sauce in there and they'd put the lids on top. And then the top would go on and you'd screw the thing on and they'd put it off to the side and they'd wait for it to cool. And we waited for the sound. Do you know what the sound is? It's the pop. Why? Because that meant it was sealed. That meant it was preserved. No bacteria is in it. No bacteria could get in it. Nothing can get out. It was preserved. But that process at the end is where they were sealed, where they were boiled, and they were... That's what Jesus' blood did for you. You're sealed. Once you're his, you're sealed. No bacteria can get in. And that's why you can go before the Lord. Preserved in Christ Jesus. Let me give you a couple illustrations, a good and a bad. Second Samuel 9 and 7, David said, and he was speaking about Mephibosheth. King Saul was king. And God said, no more. No more, you're not going to be king anymore. And there was a rift between Saul's family and David's family who God made the king. And what happened was, is unbeknownst to David, he did not authorize it, but a lot of the lineage of King Saul was killed. But one of them, whoever wasn't killed in war was killed by soldiers, but there was one boy that got away. I believe it was Jonathan's son, so it had been Saul's grandson. A boy named Mephibosheth. So... Saul's gone off the scene. All Saul's men have been removed from leadership. David is now king. All David's men are in place. And all of a sudden, some soldiers walk up to the front door of Mephibosheth's house. And Mephibosheth comes out and he goes, oh boy, I'm in for it now. All my family's been wiped out. And David says, uh-uh. He says, uh-uh. He says, I'm not here to take your life. I'm here to give you a seat at my table in the palace. And Mephibosheth says, why? And he says, because your father, Jonathan, 
was my best friend. We were blood brothers. And because of the kindness I'm doing for Jonathan, I'm doing for him. So what he did is he removed all the Saul tarnish and he gave him a place of honor. All that history by Saul was removed and a place of honor was bestowed upon Mephibosheth. Let me read this verse 7. And David said, Fear not, talking to Mephibosheth, for I will show thee kindness for Jonathan's sake and will restore thee in all the land of Saul thy father. Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Wow. What did Mephibosheth do to deserve that? Zero. He did absolutely nothing, but he got it. Why? Because David forgave because of Jonathan. Well, it's the same thing with you. You have an honored place at God's table. Why? Because not Jonathan, but because Jesus took your spot and he removed all that carnage of Adam. 1 Kings 2.7 And I will show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai and let be those eat at the tie table, for so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, my brother. Similar situation, different revolution. This time it's not Saul against David, this is Absalom against David. But because of the kindness of some relatives, they were given a seat at the table. Very similar to what we have. We have a seat at God's table. Why? Because of our big brother, Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple illustrations. It's interesting. I want you to think about the access we have to the Lord. In Matthew 11, I'm sorry, Matthew 22, 11 and 22, the king said, friend, how camest thou not having a wedding garment? You know, an invitation was given, a king was, and he says, I'm going to throw a great big wedding for my son. And you know what he did? Not only did he give out the invitation, with the invitation came a wedding garment. If you read the passage in the parallel accounts, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if someone in here got an invitation to a wedding? And in that wedding, it wasn't just an envelope, which says, be here at this date and this time. And it was a great big package with this immaculate dress or this suit of clothes. And then what happened is the invitation went out and guy showed up and he's wearing his bib overalls. And the king says, why didn't you put on the dress? Why didn't you put on the dress? It's hard for us to imagine that in the day and the age we live. But we almost have to go back in time and see that culture to understand what Jesus did for us to give us access to our Father. A lot of that we just can't appreciate. And then one more, Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new man after God created in righteousness and holiness. It's not a wedding garment. This is a behavior and actions. We need that to, to approach the Lord. I've got a passage I'd like to read. This is, this is the good and the bad. This is Esther. But if you remember the book of Esther, there was a man named hated Haman that hated Jews. And he was able to fool the king and get a law passed that all the Jews would be killed. So when this happened, there was a man named Mordecai. And you know what Mordecai did? He purposely went at the main gate, the king's gate, and he dressed like a slob. He poured dust over us, he put sackcloth and ashes, and he sat there so when the king came by, he was a dirty, rotten mess. 
He was showing that. And Haman got so upset at him for looking that way and disrespecting the king. Now, the reason why Mordecai did that is because this law was passed and he was showing the state of the Jews. So Mordecai was showing disrespect. Word came back to his niece, Esther, and Esther says, Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai, knock it off. They're going to kill you for showing this disrespect. And Mordecai says, how can I possibly go on with my life when all the Jews are going to get killed? And he says to Esther, you need to approach the king. So guess what Esther did? She didn't put sackcloth and ashes on. She took a shower, she put on her best clothes, and she approached the king. Let's read this. Let's read 4, 1, and 2. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, that's those, that, that, that statue to kill all the Jews, he rent his clothes, he put on sackcloth with ashes, and went in the midst of the city before the king's gate. That was a tremendous act of defiance, a rebellion. But he did just the opposite of what had been done to the king. Esther found out, and Esther put on her royal apparel, stood in the inner coat, and the king sat on his throne, and she approached him, and she says, how can you do this thing to the Jews? And intercession was made and all the Jews were saved. So again, what I'm trying to do is to show you that we need to wash, we need to be washed before we approach the king, both in an eternal sense, but also in a practical sense. Lord, I've got all these things going on in my life. Well, clean up. I'm not talking about eternal glory. I'm talking about here on earth. Clean up. No, I don't want to clean up. I'm just, Lord, fix me. He said, clean up. There's some things we need to straighten up in our lives before we approach them. God is not going to listen to us when you're dirty. It's so important. Okay, I got one more passage and then this will be it. I want to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. I've read a little bit of this before, but I haven't read the last two verses. So let me read 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The reason why you can approach the king is because he's purged you, he's abolished you, he's cleansed you, he's washed you. All those words we looked at today, he's removed the enmity so you now have access to the Lord. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an even consci consci evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Y'all, we approach the king because we have been washed and we continue to approach him because we wash ourselves in a practical, earthly way. You, you just... In the day and age we live, see, we used to reverence our leaders, the presidents, and now we make fun of them. Uh, we've gone so much in our disrespect for authority in all levels. It doesn't matter if it's fathers in the home or, or, or bosses in a job or, or, or teachers in a school or, or, or political leaders. We just don't respect them like in past days as God would have us. We just don't do it. We don't understand how we need to get cleaned up before we before these authorities. But if we can get a little bit of glimpse in this, we've got to understand that we do wash up before we go. And then we realize, I couldn't do it on my own. So we try to wash up, but we can't, we, no matter how much we scrub. I scrub with that stuff on the tar in my rug, and just it's still dark. 
So I pull out the Resolve. The Resolve goes on it, and all of a sudden the foam turns black and the carpet's brown like it used to be. Well, that's what Jesus bled for you. He took away your sins. So now you can approach the king. And you go, wow. So what do we try to accomplish today? We're looking at the finished work of Jesus Christ, and one of the ways we turn that finished work and we look at it from the perspective of being cleansed. That's all we try to do today, look at cleanse. 